It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the Right. Lagata. Hello. Hello. Good morning and happy Easter to you. Happy and, Easter. And happy spring, really, because that's yes. what it's all about. I've, and I've got all the, the things uh, I need here, right? Oh, wait. <laughs> wait a second. That, that I don't know. How did that get there? All right. <laughs> is that is that what you do on no. Easter? No, I well, guess that's not. I suppose. You could. If the, if the Easter bunny is in your garden nibbling on something, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I noticed that, uh, oh, okay. Now I got, I, I just have to f- fix that. I've got all those guys. Uh, I realize I have, uh, some of our old sponsors, but that's okay. We'll just let them run up there because, uh, all of the people who are here are, are good folks. I just need to change the, uh, the timing yeah, on this. And, uh, we love all the people who sponsor us and who have sponsored us in the past and they all get a ding. Wait, that was a, uh, there we go. How about... There we go. Um, yeah, we've well, got we've got film festivals up there. I see. Yes. Yeah, I do, and they're 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 done. You know, maybe during a well, break, I can fix that. Actually, uh, I know at least one Earth Film Festival will be having during Earth Week. They will be having a, a few films available. Really? Okay. Yes. That's mm-hmm. good. So uh, happy uh, to uh, to have their image up there as a reminder that uh, yep. we have terrific sponsors on this show and welcome everybody. And uh, yeah, it is. Wait, uh, wait. If you're in Chicago, you're going to have a great uh, day. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Uh, in fact, Peggy and I are all dialed up here. Uh, no tie, but uh, no, that's pushing it. You know, and it's first time I think I've worn a, a sport coat. Um, a jacket here. Oh, I got it. I have to tell you a story. Um, not mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, I was looking to buy a sport coat, went into a chain, some kind of, you know, and I, I don't even remember the name of it. Talked to a very young uh, clerk and said, mm-hmm. hey, where are the sport coats? She had no idea what a sport coat was. That That was not anything that it resonated with her at all. What, did, to, what did she call it? Um, I don't know. We, we had to explain. A no, jacket? you know, like it's a, a jacket. You button it, and 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 it's it's kind of cash, but you know, you uh, you wear a pink carnation with it. Yeah, and uh, it, right, a white 
sports coat and a pink <laughs> carnation. Do wow. All right. Uh, so that, yeah, that was. <laughs> Our guests are leaving right now. They're yeah, that's right. Door. Oh, wait, where did they all go? They were here just a, a, a second ago. All right. Well, one of the things I have to do uh, before we get to, and, and we have a great show. Uh, we're, we're talking food today. Um, and uh, Always good. Yeah. Um, and uh, good food, healthy food, uh, community um, Local how, food. How to sustain a community, how to put uh, money back into the neighborhood uh, of your community. And so uh, welcome everybody to that. And then um, after we talk food and community, we talk uh, with our friend Nate Kipnis uh, about architecture and green architecture, low mm-hmm. carbon, net zero. Does that exist? I'm telling you, I'm I'm a fan of retrofitting. Um uh, after having it done to my house, which it's it's not even the same anymore. It's so wonderful yeah. to be here. And I need to, I'm going to tilt, there we go, just a little bit. Yeah, and That's let's okay. see, we've got good morning to everybody watching us and wishing us uh, spring wishes here. Let's see, Dan Costa says it's a great day for repotting his bonsai. Uh, uh, there you go. So uh, <laughs> if, if, it's Dan, if Dan Costa is commenting, it's going, bonsai is going to be part of that. It's going to be mm-hmm. part of that. And so welcome, everybody. Yeah. So uh, before we get to where we're going to go, I'm going to make you uh, disappear just for a second. Um, so, yeah, how about that? So that I can bring us both up here. Uh, because we have a lot. I didn't of... even have time to sip my coffee. Yeah. Oh, that's... shall I turn this <laughs> off again so that you can sip? No, 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 no. It's it's quick because uh, oh, we're going to go down the list and uh, bring in the folks uh, who are on the show. And uh, there's a friend of the show, uh, Grant Kessler. Good morning, Grant. How are you doing? Uh oh. Wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, sorry, that might have been me. Oh, Good it was. Okay. Woo. You, you, you scared morning, me Grant. there. Yeah, he's with Chicago Market, <laughs> one of the food co-ops we're talking about this morning. Let us go here and uh, bring in Scott Bricks. Uh, and uh, Scott is with Food Shed Co-op. How you doing, Scott? Good. Hi, everybody. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure. You know, you've got uh, that that classic background. Yeah. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez does that with like nothing in the background when you see her on the news uh, programs. Yeah, well, I called her up and asked her what, I, what she's on my background. She's, in fact, the name of the paint she recommended is called Classic Gray, so you're right on. Uh, it's, there you go. Uh, Scott, it's just too tasteful for words, okay? Um, and I should mention, Grant, uh, Chicago Market Co-op is in Chicago, is in the city of Chicago, in the Uptown neighborhood. Uh, Food Shed Co-op is out in McHenry County, uh, and uh, Kathy Nash is also with us with Prairie Food Co-op, and they are out in uh, DuPage County in Lombard. So what happened was I got emails from all of you within a couple of weeks, um, and I, I thought, this is a great idea. Why don't I just bring all these folks together? Mm-hmm. And we can talk uh, about the food co-op movement uh, in the country, how that works, uh, why it is good for people. And uh, and we have three different outfits here that we can 
contrast and compare. So uh, and, welcome. And, and they all wore their T-shirts this morning, too. <laughs> well, that was in they the memo. They all have their we market shirts. memo about the sport coat. Oh, there we go. You're right. It's, it's, it's all about the marketing, as you know, which is a big part of it. Um, Grant, you're, uh, you're the, uh, the marketing guy for, um, uh, Chicago market. So, um, well, since we started there, uh, let's talk about that. How, how does one get the word out? Obviously some of the, the, uh, traditional ways, which is, uh, nowadays, which is social media, but it's gotta be a, a never ending task, doesn't it? That's that's a lot of the work of the early side of uh, co-ops organizing is uh, getting people to join you as owners and uh, building your organization and building your community. And that comes from reaching out to people. So, yes. Um, and <laughs> prior to this year, we did a lot of in-person events. We'd table at things. We'd you know get out and talk to people. We hosted events um, as a way to connect with folks. Um, and of course, now, you know, we have to rely on Zoom opportunities for that. Um, uh, social media marketing, emails, all that sort of stuff to to reach people, and appearances on fabulous shows like the Mike Novak Show help us, <laughs> help us also. So thank you for that. Oh, it's great our, to have you supporting the whole co-op community right now. So thanks. It's it seems like a, a, a good idea to us. Um, but uh, Grant just brought up something interesting, uh, Kathy Nash, uh, which is uh, we're just coming out of a pandemic year, and the opportunity to meet with people in person hasn't been there. So how has that hampered your efforts to get the word out? Yeah, I mean, like Grant said, we were doing a lot of in-person events and tabling and all of the events that we would normally go to were canceled. In the summer, there was still a farmer's market, but we weren't allowed to table there because we weren't an actual food vendor. So the farmer's market for us was a really great way to get out. So we really had to rely much more heavily on social media marketing and Zoom meetings and word of mouth and our, our newsletter. So it definitely posed a challenge for us this past year. Yeah, and, and I imagine, Scott, you've, you've had pretty much the same thing on your end. Yeah, if anything, though, I would say it, was an, it turned into an opportunity because we kind of learned how to leverage the uh, Zoom tool. And Early on in the pandemic, when the grocery store shelves started emptying out and people were kind of panicking about where they were going to get food, we started having Zoom meeting with local farmers and trying to help them get their food out in ways that maybe they hadn't previously done so because uh, they were relying on farmers markets and local restaurants, which were all closing. So in a strange and ironic sort of way, it kind of helped us get our message out, I think. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a good point. And, and one of the things I wrote on my blog, and folks can go to MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. Um, there's an article uh, that um, I think, uh, Kathy, you posted on your site uh, that the Trib wrote earlier in the year, and it's about the success of of co-ops during the pandemic. Um, and I found one in civil eats. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and it's in that from last year and last year, things were really surprising because, uh, in, in the midst of, uh, a lot of, uh, supermarkets having trouble with, uh, stocking their shelves uh, with restaurants closing, as you mentioned, Scott, um, 
oddly enough, some local farmers were doing well. And we've talked about it on this show. This is nothing new. And uh, yeah. co-ops were doing well, although that tide might have turned now. Um, if you also read a follow-up I did um, about um, uh, the, uh, the dill pickle co-op in Chicago, and we'll get to that in a little bit. So things wax and wane. It's kind of hard to know in the middle of a pandemic exactly what's going to happen. But as you said, Scott, there was a, yeah, an opportunity. Some of its location, too. Yeah. So let's, before we get too far ahead of ourselves here, we need to explain exactly what a, a food co-op is. How is that different from a, a, a supermarket? Um, what are the advantages? Um, how can people get involved? Uh, Grant, why don't we, we start with you? What's, what, what is the deal? <laughs> what is the deal? Yeah, what's the deal, man? <laughs> so, what is a co-op? That's a small question you posed there, Mike. Um, okay, I've so, got I've got all the time in the world. You can go all day long. <laughs> Let's start yeah, talking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, a, a co-op uh, from a business structure standpoint is people in the community building a grocery store that they feel doesn't exist, that doesn't meet their needs, um, and the community comes together to to solve that problem. So for us, for example, we look around and say, hey, grocery stores are not doing a great job uh, in our view of carrying local sustainable goods from local farmers and food producers at the kind of volume that we want to see, right? We can get that stuff at a farmer's market, which we love, but we'd like an open grocery store that has that on a daily basis and, you know, regular grocery store kind of hours. Um, so it's that access to local foods. It's uh, being able to shop at a store that uh, meets your values and thinks about sustainability in ways that other grocery stores don't. Um, and from a, from a, when you walk in kind of shopping perspective, you know, we do like people to understand it's not a, it's not a farm stand. It's, we won't be a farmer's market. We'll be a full service grocery store. You can come in, you should be able to come in and shop for groceries like you do in other stores, but the products are going to be different. Um, and the, uh, customer service and the personal, uh, feeling you have when you walk into a co-op you know you're likely to know people in there because you all in the mm -hmm. community own it together it's a small local business that um, we all support by being owners uh, though we like to make sure everybody understands anyone can shop in the store ownership has its benefits and helps us get open um, but everyone's welcome in the store to shop so um, okay that's uh does you that, know does that help you yeah, it's a jumping off point. Um, yes. Uh, Scott, would you uh, like to add anything to that from your perspective? I think that may be the best description I've ever heard from Grant. Right there, so <laughs> thank you, Grant, for that. But, uh, well, okay. <laughs> I, I oh. would just say it's uh, dim yeah, meeting adjourned. That's uh, right. That's all we have. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Uh, uh, no, I, I think it's community. For me, it's all all about the environment and we have maybe three or four categories of the reasons people might be owners or members of a food co-op they fall into the community category the environment category which grant mentioned uh the healthy food category and uh, and i guess that's it it's a the personification of democracy with a small d everybody owns it everybody participates in that ownership and i guess the other category would be business keeping the the dollars local rather than exporting them to some faraway place through the big box store mm -hmm. all right well that's what i'll add to it um kathy well then let me ask you a different question if that if it's all this and more 
and it's such a benefit. Why does it take so darn long to put a co-op together? How long have you guys been working on that uh, in uh, DuPage County in Lombard? That's a great question and a very long time. Uh, We've been working on this for about eight years. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons in this area in particular it takes such a long time is there's not much familiarity at all with food co-ops and in general cooperative business structures. So when you're approaching your community with the idea that sounds great, it's difficult for people to understand what exactly they're buying into. So you have to really lay the groundwork for what does ownership mean and how is that helping the business and why do I need to become an owner now when your store might not be open for several years? And, you know, since we started organizing eight years ago, it's also become more expensive to open food co-ops because they're unlike the food co-ops that some people might have in their mind of the sixties or seventies where you walk in it has a certain patchouli smell to it and it's really hippy dippy and those still exist and that's great. But, most modern food co-ops organizing to open need to be competitive with the national chain grocers. They have to you know, offer all of the same products and services that you would see in a competitive full service grocery store. So that's just more expensive to open a store like that. So there's just a lot of things, a lot of challenges that you face starting up a food co-op business, yeah, especially yeah. in a community that is not familiar with them. Okay, uh, and, and that's part of it. It's selling the idea to that particular community. Um, and and go ahead, Peggy. I was also going to add: Are there challenges, or ask, are there challenges of selling it to the municipality, not just the people that live there, but to the local government? Anybody? Absolutely. Feel like, yeah. Feel like I, that's I'll take a stab at that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, go we ahead, started Scott. at the food shed. Uh, oh, we started oh, at the food shed as a county-wide project, and what we found was that some communities, some governments in our county, loved us more than other governments, and uh, it turned out that we ended up in a Woodstock with a Woodstock mm-hmm. address, and they've shown a lot of love and support for this project and. Uh, in numerous ways. In fact, we're really close to uh, the economic development people in Woodstock. We're really close to the the mayor who's leaving on Tuesday, and then and we're just got to know when an hour long Zoom the, this week uh, the the new mayor that's coming in. He's extremely supportive, so uh, that's a good thing. Uh, well, and also um, I noticed that uh, you're going to have the space. You, you, uh, the difference. Okay, let me let me go back uh, to to everybody here. The difference. There's several differences here. Uh, Kathy and Scott, you guys have spaces that you're building on. So you, these are going to be brand spanking new structures, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grant, you're dealing with a structure that is established in the city. As a matter of fact, it's the the L station at Wilson uh, on the Red Line. Um, and that poses its own kind of problems, doesn't it? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> it's uh, And opportunities. It's beautiful. It's a fabulous landmark building at the corner of Wilson and Broadway. Um, it, we love it because it, it 
it is tapped into that commuter uh, system and it's right next to the mm-hmm. red and purple line. So your Evanston owners can hop off and on the train and mm-hmm. um, get their groceries. Um, it does have a parking lot on the backside, a pretty large one for a store our size. So we'd like people to know that it's accessible from all means of travel, um, certainly walkable and bikeable and all that as well. Um, but being a historic building with mm, Nothing but the, fa- the facade is well repaired and it's a gorgeous mm-hmm. building and there's nothing inside. And so our work is to plan and build out the interior um, for it to be a grocery store. It has the added uh, quirk, I'll say, compared to somebody who gets to build their store from scratch, that it is the shape it is. And ours is a wedge-shaped kind of triangle, which is not ideal for a grocery store. Uh, it pinches in the center a little and it means traffic through mm-hmm. the middle will be challenging. Um, and that's something we've bumped up against, uh, but in the past year have developed plans and solutions to make our quirky little space work and be a great grocery store. Uh, and um, you know what I was thinking? Why don't, while we're here, because I've got some videos that you guys have sent me, um, introduce folks to your various outfits um, and maybe, you know, encourage people to uh, to sign up, whether they're in McHenry County or DuPage County or Cook County in the city of Chicago. Uh, Grant, since uh, we were just talking to you, let's let's play this and then take a look at uh, a little bit from uh, Chicago Market. Chicago Market will be a community owned grocery store that welcomes everyone. Our owners couldn't wait to begin connecting eaters with local farm goods and products. In just four months, we've put over $7,000 into the local food economy. We love our farmers and producers and offer online sales and pre-order events of their sustainable, locally made goods. Our To Market To Market team recently partnered with our events team to produce our Thanksgiving pop-up market. Thank you to all our volunteers on the To Market To Market team for making that happen. And thanks to our local farmers and food producers. We're in awe of what you do and love partnering with you. Shop with us and become an owner if you're not already to keep these powerful impacts happening. And you also just had uh, some good news, uh, Grant, that uh, you just hired a a GM for your market, right? That's right. We're our very big exciting news is to have hired a fantastic general manager. That is so in co-op land and co-op development, there are a few big milestones and holy grails. And one of them, of course, is finding your location, which the three of us all have. Um, mm-hmm. And for us, the next one was finding the right general manager. Um, we recognize that our store uh, needs to be a dense, urban, uh, fast-paced, high-volume kind of grocery store. And needs a pretty particular kind of general manager. And our search turned up a more than qualified fellow named Dan Arnett. And we're super excited. Uh, about this time tomorrow morning, I will be orienting him. He begins tomorrow. Wow. So, all right. And um, the news on your end, Scott. Uh, so tomorrow, you're bringing in your general manager, Grant. Scott, in two days, you're going to have the city of Woodstock annex the property that you guys have acquired. That's correct. On Tuesday night this week, we're on the agenda with the city council to uh, approve a zoning map amendment, first of all, and then annex us into the city, which allows us then to tap into the utilities, which is uh, we have to have that. 
Uh, well, what is it uh, that was that the plan all along, or is this something new? And what does it mean to annex uh, a, a a parcel of land like that for a specific purpose? Well, and plan all along since we bought this piece of land last uh, October, I guess it was. Uh, we announced it in December, but. Um, yeah, this particular piece of land we bought, they call it a pocket parcel. It's surrounded by city mm -hmm. on all mm -hmm. four sides, but for whatever reason, it's a one-acre piece of land that uh, that uh, somebody didn't want to sell in the past or have annexed. So uh, we bought it finally. Uh, we actually purchased it from the Mayo Clinic. I guess someone had gifted it to them, and mm -hmm. uh, we're, we are going through the annexation process, which is really just a lot of... Uh, bureaucracy and uh, filling out forms and writing checks and grunt work, if you will. Yeah. Um, I would imagine some some properties don't want to be annexed. Uh, you did. This is an important uh, step for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the city also has wanted this property to be annexed. It doesn't make sense to have it in the county surrounded by city on four sides. So uh, they're pretty happy about it, I think. Okay. And by the way, I should mention Scott's the vice president and treasurer of the Food Shed Co-op uh, in Woodstock, uh, soon to be officially in Woodstock, Illinois. Um, Kathy Nash is the co-founder and president of Prairie Food Co-op in Lombard. And Grant, as we're talking to, is the board president of Chicago Market, and he's the communications and marketing team lead. Uh, let's, uh, let me play... Uh, uh, um, this from your outfit, uh, Scott, uh, and this uh, involves some original music as well, doesn't it? Yeah, we have a singer-songwriter here in the community and some local musicians that uh, played on this and invited me to bring my banjo along to the, <laughs> the party. But uh, the singer-songwriter is Cassandra Vasudeman, who most people, if you're from McHenry County, have probably heard of her. She's a fabulous singer. And she wrote these lyrics, which is basically everything Grant said about co-ops. All right. Well, let's let's take a listen and a look. Let's start with a real conversation. About the food that we eat and the earth that provides Let's talk about future generations And how to sustain them and help them to thrive Let's talk about our local farmers Who believe in tending the land Let's talk with our neighbors and friends Together we can take a stand Join the food shed and let's make a difference With our time, with our hearts Invest in our planet, invest in our town Invest in our own backyards A community that we all share Join the food shed and help us get there Our loved ones, food that we trust, 
growers who care. Let's talk about our local artists, the builders, the makers, the dreamers everywhere. Let's talk about saving our environment and the small steps that we can all take. With the start of this simple conversation, together we can create change. Join the food shed and let's make a difference with our time, with our And I'm gonna do a little fade uh, at this point that shows the the, the map of uh, the area in uh, McHenry County, and uh, that's a slick little uh, video that uh, your folks put together there, Scott. Yeah, it's like me up. Me almost cry. <laughs> I'm sorry, you said it makes you cry almost when you watch that. Almost. I mean, it's just it's just so nails the idea of this and the, the lyrics and, and and my grandson's in it, so that's the other reason it makes ah. me cry. <laughs> well, there we go. There we go. I, I, I should have known. Future generations. <laughs> okay, uh, we are talking to folks uh, from. Uh, Prairie Food Co-op and um, the Food Shed Co-op and Chicago Market. We need to take uh, a short break here, but when we get back, Kathy, we're going to get to you because your outfit also has uh, a little video that they've uh, put together. So uh, we will uh, take a look at that as well and and discuss. And what we're going to and I'd love to have questions from the folks uh, who are watching today. I don't know, Peggy, um, what you're uh, seeing out there. Uh, but there's, you know, as as great an idea as it is food co-op, it's, there's difficulties in putting it together, and I want to address some of those uh, as well when we come back. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, uh, and we shall be right back. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. At Sitka Salmon Shares, we take pride in being a seafood company that's a little different. In fact, 10 seasons ago, our motto was we do salmon differently. Nowadays, we harvest 15 species of wild-caught Alaskan fish, but still call ourselves Sitka Salmon Shares because, well, we're a little different. Our difference starts with our fleet of fishermen who own a slice of the company Mm. and are paid above industry average. They deliver fish to our docks in about half the time as other fishermen, which means higher quality of fish for you. And we never buy our fish from large processors where we don't know how each fish was caught or handled, like most other companies do. Another difference is our fish plant, which we own too. Our plant freezes fish about twice as cold and twice as fast as the other guys. This produces unparalleled quality at a cellular level. Ooh. Our difference extends to you too. By joining our community, 
you band together with thousands of other people who want to make a difference in the way that their food is produced. This allows our fishermen to harvest fish just for you, with the respect, thought, and care that the fish, the ocean, and you deserve. So, be a little different. Join us at SitkaSalmonShares.com. You can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. And welcome back, everybody. I was just uh, looking uh, at uh, the folks uh, watching us today, and hi to everybody out there. We're kind of almost coast to coast there. Uh, yeah, we've Peggy. got Ernest in Portland. Uh, Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon, and then we've got um, Kathy uh, Ashley Kathy. Fox from uh, Bethlehem, Bethlehem Food Co-op in Pennsylvania, um, and. Um, Harvard, Illinois, is is represented here. Um, I was also looking at uh, Nancy Bender, um, and she's, I just had hers, oh, a proud owner in the Wild Onion Co-op, Chicago's north side. Um, So this is, uh, in in, in Chicago, now that's interesting. I thought, uh, maybe you can help me with this, Grant. I thought the only food co-op, in uh, Chicago operating right now was the dill pickle. So, so yes. So what's <laughs> so, our, what's our landscape look like? Uh, Chicago. So back to get so, something Kathy said earlier, which is there aren't a lot of co-ops in the area. So people aren't mm-hmm. as familiar with them in a city a region like Minneapolis, St. Paul has 12 or 14 of them. So yeah. you don't have to start your conversation explaining what a co-op is in Chicago proper. We have the dill pickle, the only open operating mm-hmm. co-op. Um, we also have the sugar beet out in Oak Park. So we have two open co-ops in our region. Um, but then there are a bunch of us in startup mode, like the three of us here, um, Wild Onion on the north side of Chicago, Austin Community Food Co-op on the west side, um, as well as Southside Food Co-op are also organizing. There are folks out in kind of the Elgin area organizing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm missing anybody, Kathy or Scott? That's Ed- Rockford and Whitewater. And- right. So yeah, there's there are more, there are more of us Urbana. coming. <laughs> yeah, well, we're we're going to get people used to the idea. And co-ops work together and help each mm-hmm. other grow and support each other. And those all in Minneapolis-St. Paul area are not uh, at each other's throats and competing. They're, you know, They all work uh, together and share information and make the co-op scene as strong as it is. And mm-hmm. we hope to be you know, a part of making Chicagoland scene a lot stronger. Uh, is the is it particularly strong in uh, Minneapolis area, or, or are other parts of the country uh, that, also also strong? There, uh, that's a great example of a huge volume of them. But uh, you know, yeah. the Seattle, uh, Portland area has uh, some of the, has a bunch of them. In some cases, parts more than one store. Um, part, yes, there are a couple few in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Willie yeah, Street, thinking of the outpost, uh, for example. Outpost, uh, Viroqua has a fantastic co-op. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so, varies, but so here kind we of are. weaker in Chicago for the size that we are, and we could. And, and, uh, and how do you account for that? Uh, anybody uh, got any ideas on it? Is just uh, an idea whose time had not arrived in Chicago? One thing, one thing I've heard about that, and I don't know if Kathy and Grant 
know about this, but uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota have a lot of uh, this population that descended from or arrived from Scandinavia. And Scandinavians by nature tend to be more communal in their living and more cooperative in their living structures. And uh, that's one explanation I've heard about that. Uh-huh. Isn't there also, and I, I could be mistaken on this, the Illinois co-op laws were very difficult for a while? Yes. They're getting better. And, of course, there are other co-ops in Illinois. There's, well, uh, well, you know, in what Bloomington way? and Champaign. And, um, there used to be a cap. The cap on what ownership could cost was really, really low and was stuck there since, like, 1915 or something. Um, mm-hmm. Some states allow co-ops to be nonprofits. In Illinois, that's not the case. So our business structure will always be a for-profit business. So that makes chasing grant funding harder because you're not inherently nonprofit. Yeah, it doesn't make it impossible, but it makes well, it more why, challenging. Why? Why would there be that prohibition on being a, a, a not-for-profit? That just seems um, uh, diff- makes things more difficult. As you said, you can't go out and get grants. Right. Co-ops are values-driven and operate in this way that's kind of between being a for-profit and a non-profit. Um, so even though we're legally a for-profit in the state of Illinois, we definitely like to make sure people understand we don't. We act a lot more like a non-profit. Our values-driven. And that it's sort of kind, thing. Well, it's kind of like my show. Theoretically, <laughs> uh, I, I'm 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 a, I'm an LLC that's a for-profit. Uh, but uh, if you look at the bank account, there's uh, not a lot of profits. In, you know. <laughs> And all of this, so uh, and no I, grants other and, than the one that's on the show. And I and I and I don't <laughs> want that to happen. Well, okay, we'll give a ding for that. Um, I don't want that to happen to you guys. So, uh, uh, and I notice uh, um, uh, Kathy uh, Ashley Fox, who's in Pennsylvania, she said the startup Bethlehem Food Co-op just signed a lease, had a site announcement, and we are in the silent phase of our capital campaign. Great show, thank you. We appreciate that. But um, this is what, if you if you're looking at co-ops in Illinois, they're all in this phase. It's they're all they're they're mm-hmm. getting people together. They're convinced. You're trying to get uh, enough members to reach critical mass, and for for each, it's different. Um, yours, I noticed, Grant, your critical mass for membership is much higher than what uh, Kathy and Scott are looking at. Um, is that just because of the expense of working in Chicago? That's that's part of it. That th- Those numbers are financial-based, right? So that ownership is part of what, not all by any means, but part of what funds the store. And, yes, our target is 3,500 owners uh, as of some reassessment we did last summer. Um, and that's just that's financial planning. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a dollar amount we need to get to. Um, it also represents a strong shopper base when you open. You, it uh, means that yeah. people are going to be there, right? And the bank that's going to lend to us wants to see that as well. The bank wants to see a lot of us invested, and they want us to know that they're going to come in and shop. Um, so those are the reasons for that. Scott, and yes, everybody's oh. everybody's planning is a little different, Yeah, and we all just have to figure out what our formula is. Uh, yeah, Scott, I was going to say, what are your numbers? What are you looking at and hoping to get to by when? Uh, we are looking for 1,200 owners by july and uh we are currently at 915 or so as of today but we were at 720 on december 11th when we announced the site so like i think i said earlier we've grown almost 200 since announcing in december 
So there's a lot of momentum right now. And where do you see the bump you get from this show? Uh, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, Kathy, what about you? Uh, our goal for launching the capital campaign, which we're in right now, it was 1,300 owners, and we are surpassed that now. But we are hoping to have around 2,000 by the time the store opens, which is still about two years away because the store yeah. needs to be built. It's it's just so amazing to, to talk to all of you uh, and know – that when you jump into this, it's going to be years. It's going to might be a decade uh, before you're actually up and running. And yet here you are chugging away. Um, uh, so let's let me take a look at uh, the the the, um, the market uh, prairie food market uh, video here, um, Kathy. I want to show folks uh, what you're doing out in Lombard. Here we go. We never dreamed that we would have this location when we first started. I mean, this is the premier site. Actually, standing right where the entrance will be, it feels really amazing. It's huge. I mean, this whole perimeter here is going to be our grocery store. It looks so much bigger when we're here now, too. It does. It's exciting. Prairie Food Co-op has reached an exciting new milestone. We have secured a location and have signed a lease for our community-owned grocery store. This is the site right here in downtown Lombard that will house our beautiful, brand new, community-owned grocery store. A store that will generate local jobs, offer local sustainable food options, and keep money in our community. You know, the thing I love about the Prairie Food Co-op is that it's a community-based organization, and it, it's going to help support our own community directly. We can have impact. I think that this is a really important piece of continuing to revitalize downtown Lombard. Food costs have been proven to recirculate more money into the local economy. We want to support local. Uh, we want to know where our food comes from. It's going to be a huge impact to, to Lombard and the DuPage County community. So please, join us in celebrating and helping reach our next milestone of opening our doors. Uh, very nice. Again, uh, let's give a, a ding out to uh, the folks at Prairie Food. Tell me a little bit about putting that uh, video together and, and your, your outreach campaign, Kathy. Sure. I, I am not the head of the outreach uh, team, so uh, my husband does that. And we have a fabulous volunteer who also happens to be, you know, in cinematography, who has volunteered to help make some of these videos that we have, we have more on our websites. And uh, he has a drone and professional equipment and really did a mm-hmm. great job of putting something together and trying to draw the picture of what the future store will look like on an empty piece of property in, near downtown Lombard, which used to house a theater that got torn down about a decade ago. And the community has really been vocal about wanting to see something developed there that's impactful for the community. So we're really excited because we feel like the co-op is that piece of impactful development coming to the center of town. Fantastic. Um, All right. I mentioned before the break that there are, it's, it's, it's difficult from the get go just to put something like this together. Um, and there are other questions about food co-ops, and if you read any of the articles uh, about them, if you do some research, you can even go to my blog and see some of the stuff I posted there. One of the uh, 
suggestions is that food co-ops are more expensive than uh, uh, other supermarkets. To, to what, shop at, you mean? Right, not to build. Right, but to to shop at that it 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 costs more to 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 go to those stores. What? How do you counter that argument? Anybody can can jump in with this. I mean, I, I can jump in. Um, I, I think it depends, right? So the cool thing about food co-ops is they are reflective of the values of the community in which they operate. So our community happens to be opening a food co-op because we value local and sustainably produced foods, and, and we want that more accessible year-round. And if people know much about farming and what it takes to farm in a sustainable manner, you know, it's not going, a, a gallon of milk is not going to cost the same if it's organically and sustainably produced. And there are a lot of creative ways you can pr- price your products so that you can keep prices of organic, sustainably produced food more in line with other products by, you know, increasing margins on some of the other products. So there's a lot of things that we're not quite there yet with product planning because we're still in our development phase. Um, and someone else on the call, Grant, might be able to answer that a little bit more eloquently. But, you know, co-ops really, really range. And, it, you know, our location is center of town. So we know that we have a dual mission of not only providing better access to locally produced food, but we also want to be a convenient place for people who maybe those aren't their number one values. They just want a grocery store in their neighborhood. So mm-hmm. so we are operating with two different sets of value-based shoppers. And so, you know, that's a challenge for us as we start, you know, down our store planning, which we haven't started yet, but that is something top of mind for us. Uh, and uh, social justice is also a, a component of this. And, and I imagine you, uh, you're you nodding there, Scott. Part of it, it, why people join is the social justice aspect. And, and, and it means uh, I guess to a lot of folks, it's um, healthier food uh, and supporting local economy, uh, supporting local farmers, uh, that sort of thing. And um, uh, that, I imagine, helps you sell your your food shed. Yeah, if, if price is the number one driver for you when you go shopping for food, we're probably not your place. Uh, mm-hmm. You're better off going to Walmart or Amazon or Costco or someplace like that. If price is important, maybe but maybe down to number three or four on your list of priorities when you shop for food, we may have something for you because in addition to price, which we hope we're competitive on, uh, at least on many items, uh, we also value things like putting carbon into the atmosphere. And we think there's a cost associated with that. And uh, so if you want to pay workers fairly, and, you know, we hear stories about how workers are treated at some of these places I just mentioned, um, we might have something for you. If you care about building soil with local farming who cares about your the health of the soil in your community and the topsoil that sustains life on this planet we live on, we might have something for you. But if price is all you care about, we're probably not your place. 
That's a that's a very good point. Uh, something else that happens. Uh, one of the uh, articles you'll see in my blog post is uh, it just happened the other day, and I wasn't even aware of it till I, I saw it in the news. I one of the places I shop uh, mm-hmm. is the Dill Pickle in uh, Logan Square, Dill Pickle Co-op, and as uh, we mentioned, it's the only operating co-op right now. Their workers it's on Milwaukee Avenue. Yeah, Milwaukee and and basically Kimball. Uh, and diversity, uh, and uh, their workers have been doing an uh, informational picketing uh, there. I mean, this is this is these are issues too that that happen to co-ops. This, uh, they're not immune from these kinds of things, and it's been as I mentioned earlier last year. The co- some co-ops were doing very well during the pandemic, and then uh, the owner of the dill pickle says, "Well, it, that kind of dropped off. We're we're in crisis mode here, and yet uh, the workers are claiming that you know they're having issues with management. So they didn't, they haven't struck. They're just doing informational picketing on their own time to raise awareness uh, uh, among the customers. Uh, that's something obviously that that can come up." in running uh, a co-op. And uh, Grant, I'm, I'm going to go to you because you've also, your co-op has been uh, in local news recently um, because of an issue regarding um, a houseless person. And I guess that is, and, and, and that's interesting, uh, I went and looked it up. I mm-hmm. saw you guys. Explanation before. of the term, yes. Yeah, houselessness, I guess that is the new way of of referring to people who don't have their own homes uh it used to be homeless um and the idea a house is not a home and home is what you make of it so you have a houseless person in uh the parking lot and that has caused some consternation in your neighborhood uh and that's part of the issue too because you're reaching out to local people and um, I'm going to say, go out on a limb here and say your neighborhood is a little bit more diverse than uh, McHenry County and DuPage County. So can you explain a, a little bit about what happened and how you're working on this issue? Sure. And, and we are. We know we're in that kind of a diverse neighborhood. And back to that pricing question, too, uh, we know we need to do some things to fit into the community and mm-hmm. uh, work to be price appropriate where we can. And, and so, you're in the uptown uh, neighborhood. We're, so we're in the up, we're in uptown. So I should say we're on the north side of Chicago. We have owners all across in a broad swath across the north side of the city. Um, and as I mentioned, we have a parking lot. We expect to be a draw. We want people shopping from far and wide. But we know we're situated. We know where our store is. It's in uptown, right? Um, and uh, we have taken possession of the building. The CTA owns it. Um, and as you say, there are a couple of members of the community who have been uh, living in our parking lot. And we uh, did what we thought was good outreach and working with social service agencies to get some help and uh, ran, felt in our minds that we used those resources. Um, But what we're learning from the community members, and and that's, this is a value of co-ops is that they do listen to the community, learn from their owners, learn from the community um, in ways that your average big business, your other store just is not going to do. Uh, the, the, the comment box at a co-op store uh, has more weight than in other stores. Um, and as a board, we are beholden to listen to owners. So 
we're listening and learning right now a lot and uh, working to grow to be uh, more equitable in our response to the folks in our parking lot and try to find a solution for them. We've done some outreach now to uh, social service agencies that we we know we should have reached earlier, but we didn't didn't see that. And now we, you know, now we do. Our community has helped us see that. And so we're uh, doing the best we can to be equitable and humane uh, while also, you know, balancing that we have, uh, you know, insurance and uh, a building that we have to take care of for the CTA. And uh, those are tough. That's a tough place to be as a co-op right now. So we're doing our best by it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of a thing that um, it seems you were blindsided by and those you know and you look at as i mentioned the dill pickle um i'm sure they didn't expect their workers to go out and strike but these are all issues this is all about being a, a business isn't sure. it this, that's it, right that's right it's a values driven business and yeah. you uh you assume that carries the day and you're trying to live your values as a business for the shoppers and owners that come there um but that doesn't mean that there aren't big question marks and big challenges that come up to that you have to figure out how to address as a, as a board or as a GM, once your GM's on board. And so, yes. Yeah. And, and I will be honest and say, I've, I've been to your site. I've been to the Facebook page. Um, it's, it's been pretty heated, uh, on there. Uh, there are people who want to have nothing to do with you. And there are people who say, thank you for, uh, working on this and trying to fix the problem. And, and, Mm -hmm to get better at listening to the community. And I guess that's, that's what it's about. It's uh, uh, all of you, whether it's uh, Kathy or Scott or Grant, have to listen to the community if you're going to be a community-supported venture. Um, yes. So um, I, are there, have you encountered any problems like that, Scott or, or, or Kathy, uh, in your uh, ventures? No. No. It's quite... It's it's a different. No, I don't think we're far enough along, though. You know, Grant's a little further ahead with Kathy and the Prairie Food Co-op, and and us at the Food Shed Co-op. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, so not, different, different things come up when you suddenly have possession of your store. You know, you have to yeah. take care of it. Yeah, we had to hire somebody to snowplow and cost yeah. us a bundle this year because it snowed. We have, to have a lot maintenance done now. Yeah, yeah. maintenance. We have to take care of the building, and uh, so yeah, lots. Lots of business level things start to happen once you mm-hmm. get to that next step of, oh, you've signed a lease and you have the space or, and, or you've, you're building or whatever you're doing. Yeah. And you're not even bringing in food yet. Uh, well, and, we're, uh, that's what our, your little video shows we are. We do feel oh, that's true, true that we're not, we're not an open grocery store, but we do like, you know, back to the point of organizing and the time mm-hmm. it takes, you know, Kathy talked about that. It's, it, that's an average, national average is seven to 10 years to start a co-op. So it's really hard to sustain people's interest and keep people excited over that wow. period of time. So the shop initiative that we kicked off last year, which you showed, showed the video for, thank you, um, is about that, con- helping our farmers, but also connecting our people to those farm goods and you order online and pick up once a month in our store right now. So it's a step toward having goods available for people. And and I should mention that you're going to win an award for your initiative. Well, we are we are we are nominated. Nominated. For, for I'm sorry. A, I'm a sorry. startup innovator. Sorry. Yes. sorry. We sorry. don't we don't we don't know yet. We're nominated. We're super proud of that and excited to be nominated. So so we have our hands award. over the dinger. You just don't have it yet. Yeah. yeah That's I can't, right. Can't give you check with me in May. Check with me in May. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I apologize you know. for. Uh, 
for 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 getting that wrong. All right, uh, before we let you guys go, uh, what if? All right, first of all, Scott, are you going to bring out the banjo or not? Oh, geez. Uh, well, <laughs> he's got it right there. <laughs> Love it. Can you hear that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. that all right all right you get you get a, a few dings there thank you so much I, I hate to put you on the spot uh what have we missed what have i missed here about putting all this together that uh that folks need uh, to know about i mean we we told told uh people that uh, it takes a long time you're recruiting all the time it's um there's there's going to be a payoff somewhere down the road uh, in terms of the quality of the products that you can present in your your neighborhoods, um, what have I missed here? Anything? I guess not. I'm perfect. Co-ops are cool. <laughs> okay, <laughs> they're like cool. Oh. Like Kathy said, they they're just fun. They're it's it's a place to gather and see your friends. I think Kathy said that. I totally agree with that. And that's what I'm hoping ours is, is a place where we can go for respite in our community, get away from our screens and turn off the evening news and go engage with our neighbors and have some fun and buy some food and support our community. I think that's a really, really good point because um, the big box stores are not the place that you go to hang out and no. be with your buddies. Uh, you know, it's, it's to run in there and grab something and then run back out. Uh, well, uh, Oh, one more thing I have to mention, Kathy, I, I told you I would give you a plug. You're uh, you're actually running for office, aren't you? I am. I am running for York township trustee. Yep. Uh, and when so are, vote on Tuesday. It's Make this, sure everybody votes. It's this Tuesday. Exercise your democratic right to choose your locally elected officials. Uh, if you live in York Township. Yes. I, yeah. I don't know if Chicago and uh, you know what. When are your your elections are not Tuesday? Uh, no, not that. No, there's oh, nothing, okay. nothing going on here. Uh, A lot of the municipalities though have. No, it, there's there's uh, municipalities up here in Lake County, too, I know for sure, with elections coming up. See, I had no okay. idea that uh, any of these uh, elections were coming up. because That's uh, the signs on my lawn. Uh, oh, oh nice. right. You know what? <laughs> I did see something about that recently, about the signs uh, that were out in the various yeah. communities. Cynthia okay. says elections in McHenry County. She just posted as okay. well. Okay, so there you go. Well, uh, Grant Kessler, uh, Scott Bricks, Kathy Nash. Thank you so much. For folks uh, who uh, want to go to those co-ops and take a look at what they have to offer, obviously uh, the uh, the websites are right under their names there on the screen. Yes, point. <laughs> uh, but you can also, uh, it's basically, take the name of it, like uh, foodshed.coop or uh, chicagomarket.coop or prairiefood.coop. You can also find it at my website on the blog, um, mikenovak.net. Uh, I appreciate all of you being here today, and, and I'm just wishing you all luck. This is a hard, hard thing to do, and um, uh, kudos to you for, for giving it a go. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Peggy. Thank you so much for hosting Thank you. us. It's 
really and, nice. And and thank you for taking time out on uh, Easter Sunday uh, to be with us. All right, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. When we come back, we're talking green architecture. The best thing about my job is the excitement of uh, waking up every morning just wondering what the challenges are going to be that day. So how do you like my office? We lead with safety. It's the first thing that I think about when I wake up. It's the last thing I think about when I go to bed. We've got a number of employees in the office, myself included, who've been, been around for 10, 15 plus years. So people enjoy working for the company. And staff retention is a thing that we're very, very keen on. It's no secret that the world of arboriculture is a male-dominated industry, but there is a fearless group of women out there that are determined to change that, and I'm really proud to be one of those women. At my office, I feel like you could take just about anyone, put a crew together, and send them out to a job and have it be successful. And that has to do with trusting the people you work with, feeling safe around them, and knowing their strengths and weaknesses. One of the proudest moments working uh, with Barlet for me was being the first to do training in a Spanish class. Bartlett is all about promoting from within. We really want to focus on our people and make sure that they're trained, make sure that they understand their role, and you slowly grow through your experience, and then you improve and, and move on to different roles within the company. There's always new positions, even at a base level, myself included. I started off as a climber and have worked my way through to being local manager in the office. Bartlett has been really great about recognizing any kind of roadblocks for different genders, different races, people of different nationalities, and just kind of taking a bulldozer to all of those roadblocks. Every tree needs a champion. 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 Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root of bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. Give me all that I can take. Okay. Hello. Hello. Oh, there let's, we are. No, there we are. You know, but we don't need that. <laughs> we uh, we're, Let's go to uh, this and let's go to that, which will be, yes, the magic of video. And uh, uh, I also want to bring in, okay. Oh, I know what I was going to do. See, I almost hmm. forgot that I've got um, a a new setup here. And, uh, and see, I, I need to, so to do that, I need to put this in here. And then, and then watch this. This I hope this works. Uh, and Nate, uh, <laughs> Nate, Nate's looking like he's not so sure. But okay, now let's just get us out of the way, and there we go. There's our three shot. 
Wow. Uh, this is a, Except Nate's muted. Uh, oh, sorry, Nate. Let's bring your audio up. There you go. <laughs> All right. The All teleporter right. Yes, it, it did work. Welcome back to the Mike Novak <laughs> yes, Show. Yes, you've been teleported. Yes, exactly. Um, and uh, that's our buddy, Nate Kipnis. Uh, he's the founder and principal of Kipnis Architecture Plus Planning in Evanston, Illinois. Um, you're also uh, in Boulder, and, you know, you say Boulder, and, of course, the news headlines, that uh, must have shocked you uh, as much as uh, anybody else. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, just crazy beyond belief and of all the cities to have no city should ever have that but boulder in particular just uh you know really freaks me out um you know i, I did go to undergrad there and i and we've got an office there now and yeah it's uh, horrifying the people there it, it's a very close-knit community and one of the very interesting stats is uh typically boulder is the largest city in the country without a murder i mean obviously this is uh, off the chart but it's that kind of a town where everyone knows everyone kind of thing. And maybe not everyone, but yeah, no. yeah. Anyway, very t- tough. And mm-hmm. I, and I'm so sorry. Uh, and, uh, uh, but, um, it's, it's nice to know that, uh, your business is expanding and, uh, are you, do you have plans to go into other cities as well? Oh, if, Boulder works out, which I can't believe it wouldn't. It would be kind of fun to continue the Evanston, Boulder, every liberal college town kind of tour, you know, let's see what happened. Uh, Austin and, uh, you know, Ann Arbor and who knows? I mean, that's where my work kind of resonates, I think. Really? Well, that, I guess that makes sense. Um, And how how did you, uh, I mean, Chicago, well, you're in Evanston, so... um, yeah, that is obviously a college town. But when I think of Evanston, I think it's actually part of Chicago because uh, it, it it has mm. no, not so much. Yeah, okay. It's its own little city. I mean, I, I love that part of it. You know, that's same thing with Boulder. It's not Denver. It's Boulder and Evanston is its own city. You know, I I live and work there. Um, I We just moved back. And uh, it's funny, you know, when we moved in, we were like, Oh, let's go to uh, Potbellies. You know, we didn't even have the kitchen set up, and uh, let's drive there. No, it's like two blocks away. You know, it's uh, everything's right there. It's not need to, It's beyond walkable. It's great, great for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm noticing the sign behind you. Before we dig into the uh, the main topic, I'm a citizen architect. We talk a lot about citizen science on this show. What mm-hmm. is a citizen architect? Um, you know, I'm on some uh, national committees with the AIA. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm on, currently on the Committee on Climate Action and Design Excellence, which is a really nice uh, committee to be on. And it's just um, trying to, you know, interact with uh, government policy, I think, is really the uh, aspect of that. And um, it's, it's really encouraging. You know, we do work one house at a time and we make it as great as we can, but to have an impact on 95,000 members of the AIA and then have that impact on the entire country. It's a, it's a really nice thing to be a part of. And that's the um, National American Institute of Architects is the AIA. AIA. Correct. Yeah. Right. And uh, you were taught, we were talking the other day and you were, you were telling me uh, about uh, their initiative uh, blueprint for better. Um, and, and obviously you talk about having an influence on architects, but architects of course have an influence on 
climate change and and the way we build our structures and and that seems to be uh, your major focus at the moment you know buildings um are 40 percent of the co2 and even more of the electric use in the country and uh, so it has a huge impact and i think we we talked before about um you know the role i was on on the 2030 commitment trying to get buildings to be net zero by 2030 so i was part of the founding uh, committee on that back in 2009, and we've been making great progress on that. And um, the blueprint for better is not only about climate change, it's about racial justice and how buildings impact that. And it's about wellness. You know, the, this past year has been just crazy, obviously, with everything that's been going on with those three topics. And uh, AIA is very focused on that right now, which is really, really encouraging. Well, and he has been for quite a while. This isn't a new thing. Yeah, yeah. But we'll explain that part of it, uh, how you improve racial equity through greener design. Well, you know, um, minority populations tend to bear the brunt of where power plants are located and uh, brownfields and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, I, you know, here in Chicago, we had, what is it, the Crawford coal plant? Yeah, I'm remembering the name right. You know, there, just there, the there were two. Stuff. There was the Fisk and the Crawford, and, right? And then the uh, the Crawford. Uh, there was there's been additional problems because um, the uh, Crawford was torn down. And right in, in the middle in, of the night. Right. Well, it wasn't in the is... middle of the night, but what, there was very little notice given to the little uh, village community, yeah. and and it right. came down, and this dust cloud of who knows what. Oh, very toxic. Yeah. You know, that was lined with the, uh, with the fly ash of, uh, decades of, uh, coal. And Mm -hmm. so this is, this is kind of the thing where how the, um, environment and environmental aspects and what, you know, people's economic levels intersect and how we as architects can help with that, which is getting rid of using fossil fuels. I mean, that's really the key thing. Um, right now, there's so many toxic materials that come from producing power that isn't renewable. And so um, one by one, those coal plants are coming down. And every day, the grid is getting greener. We're getting more wind on it, more solar. It's coming down in price every single day. It's the cheapest power right now, period. Uh, who would have thought? And a lot of your designs are bringing in all electrical appliances. And getting yeah, so our gas appliances. Because of that thinking that really um, electricity is the currency of renewable energy, and you have to go all electric to cash that in to really be at the forefront of that. So we're trying to do all of our buildings um, as best we can. We have a number of them done now uh, that are all electric. So what that typically means, there's four things in a house that typically use natural gas and it's actually i don't even like calling it natural gas it's methane we should yeah, stop calling it that's gas. a really it's good a cute point. little name they came up with it's methane yeah. all right well words and, have power and that's how yeah. we have to get past that and you're right i think we, anytime anybody says natural gas now just say oh you mean methane you mean stinky methane yeah. right so <laughs> but there's four things and so that is the mechanical system that's the washing, I'm sorry, the dryer, the uh, water heater, and the cooktop. So what we do is uh, either air source or ground source heat pump. So that's mini split systems or geothermal. 
Those are all electric. And then the water heater and the dryer are um, uh, heat pump technology, which is really cool, works great. And then the cooktop is an induction cooktop. So when I mention that to clients, sometimes I get some eye rolling because that's the thing that really like, no, I need my methane cooktop. <laughs> but um, we, we bring them to a, a, the GE Monogram showroom and have the chef there cook us a meal on the induction cooktop and explain what he's doing and how easy it is and how fast it is. And it's amazingly efficient. So, uh, and the other thing is when you do design a really energy efficient home, you're making it super tight. So why would you then start burning gas in the house? Methane. Methane with nowhere really good for yeah. the fumes to, it's a very yeah. bad combination. So typically high performance homes are not going to want, uh, not typically. They just do not want to have a uh, gas cooktop. And this is so something. We, oh, go ahead, Peggy. Go ahead. Right. Now, I was just going to say, we've got somebody who's stuck around from last hour's show, uh, the chair of Food Shed Co-op. She says she's gathering information to build as green a store as possible. Happy to help. So ele mean, electrical <laughs> into the stores as well for everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, stores are a different scale. Uh, they're a different complexity. Um, those co-ops, their big thing is the refrigeration loads. They have just such huge uh, amounts of refrigeration. So one of the things you can think about, refrigeration dumps heat, takes heat out and makes cold. And in the winter, you can reuse that heat in the building. So there's, there's a way to kind of co-produce that where you can uh, use the waste and uh, use it again you know, and, and make use of it. Uh, I was just going to say that you made me become aware of the possibilities of electricity uh, to power things. Um, and, of course, then, as, and rightly so, people will note that if you're using electricity, it's got to be coming from somewhere. So this is yeah. another um, reason why we need to have green power producing our electricity. Uh, in the old days, you could... It was a trade-off because if if it's coming from a coal plant, it's that was uh, polluting as well. But now we can change that paradigm. Um, uh, I was interested in uh, to back up a little bit when you were talking about the washer dryer and the technology used to power and heat those things. Uh, what was it the uh, the concept of that again? Well, they're air source or ground source heat pumps. Everything is like heat pump technology. So this is very different than your father's, grandfather's electric heating or electric dryer. Those are old school where it's just electric resistance. This mm -hmm. is heat pump technology is actually looking for heat. So even at minus 20 degrees or worse, there's heat in the air. If you understand the Kelvin scale, it goes down to absolute zero. There's a lot of heat still in the air. It's just, it's air conditioning reversed. Like, my God, how do you make cold air out of when it's so hot? Same thing. Yeah. You're just flipping it. And the thing actually runs both directions. So um, it's instead of, and I don't want to go too deep dive here, but instead of one unit of power making one unit of heat, this thing takes one unit of power and makes three units of heat. So it's way more efficient than just resistance heating. And well, is this uh, something... So for those of us with older homes, is this something that can be easily retrofitted or is this a very expensive 
for an so older home versus new construction. Yeah, I was thinking about that because I know most of you know a lot of your listeners and, and viewers. And me, yes, and me, I know we I talked mean, about this. Too. Yeah, because I had uh, my house retrofitted, um, well insulated, um, but a, a remarkable job. I mean, I I looked through the I look at these conversations through different eyes now. Uh, a, a year down the road from having the insulation finished on my home, insulated and and mainly it was the insulation. Ron Cowgill <laughs> from um, uh, DNR Services Unlimited, uh, who and Mighty House Home Improvement Radio um, came in, and his his goal, and he's got these videos out. You can go to the Mike Novak Show on Facebook and see some of the video, or just go to Mighty House and you can see the videos he's done. Uh, his goal was to prove that insulating a home is going to be more efficient than putting in new windows, and he basically proved it. Uh, with with my home because that that's where the heat was radiating out. Windows added a little bit at the end. It was the the cherry on on the Sunday, uh, but really it was all, all that insulation he did blowing in the cellulose into the walls and doing mm-hmm. a, a a really top notch job. And it's changed our lives here. Now the windows were part of it too because not only is there the drafts have been eliminated. The the heat is no longer escaping. Um, the sound is it, it, things are quieter in the house. Uh, I mean, it just changes your life in ways that you cannot imagine. Um, but you're ta- you're you don't do a lot of that, do you? Or, or how much retrofitting do you do? We we do. I mean, you know, on my business, we're coming up on our twenty eighth year, and I mean, we started here in Evanston. There's no vacant lots here, <laughs> so it was a lot of yeah. a lot of rehab, uh, and there's not a lot of vacant lots in Chicago. So a lot of our work is rehab work. But you know, if you look at our website, um, you'll see we do a lot of really cool new homes. But there are definitely challenges with an existing home, um, and. What you just mentioned about the insulation, I agree with that, but I also want to make clear that you do this as a system. So the insulation and the windows really need to be done simultaneously or really close to simultaneously because the heat really doesn't care. It's It, it definitely slowed down because you've got the good insulation in now, but uh, you need to get the entire unit. So it's the insulation and it's the windows, and then it's also... Um, following closely on that's the mechanical system because now you've just changed the loads in that house, the thermal loads. And so you'd need to look at a mechanical system. So the trick is with electrical, you may, you're not going to have a gas line there, but now you may need a larger electric line. Yeah. So this is one of the challenges. Bigger service brought in. Yes. If you have a hundred amp service, you very likely, if you do, a mini split and induction cooktop, you're going to have to up that to 200. And depending on the size of the house, it could even be to 400. Ah, yeah. And uh, so, and, and, and just real quick, so the mechanical system, they do make these mini splits that basically look just like a forced air system that would fit into ductwork. I mean, you're going to need to have a mechanical engineer or a really good mechanical contractor verify that. But it is possible to swap it out and put in that system so you could reuse the ductwork, but you need to check that. That's not a given. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, when you when you've got a 130 year old home, uh, right. you've gone a long way down one road, and it's kind of hard to to back up. <laughs> yeah, maybe two roads with the coal chutes and everything. I mean, you know, it's yeah, yeah. been a while. So, 
So what else is being, what, what else do you see in, in eco homes and, and uh, future of eco homes? What else are you designing in at this point? Well, you know, I think the system that we like to do is what I discussed with the tight shell and then the uh, equipment being all electric. And then we want renewable energy on site. So that's going to be solar panels. Do not start thinking of urban wind. That is just not going to work. There's a whole bunch of reasons why. Mm -hmm. Wind is a commercial scale thing. And we had proposed many years ago about an offshore wind farm in Evanston, which I think is still a great idea. But so you want electric coming in uh, mm-hmm. and either all of it or you want, a, uh, you know, some portion that then is mixed with the electrical, obviously, coming from the grid. You want to have electric cars. So you want to pre-wire or if you have an electric car, wire your garage for an electric charger. Um, and then the other thing, the kind of cherry on the top, like you said, is the battery backup system. So when you can put that in, The panels obviously don't work at night, but you can top Mm -hmm. off the battery and the battery can interface with the utility and make sure it's working. You know, it's really smart technology now that's really inexpensive to do. Um, Batteries are not super cheap yet, though, so I'm going to point that out. They are dropping in cost how solar panels were several years ago, so they are coming down in cost. So if you're doing work, make sure you leave room for that if you can't afford it right now. Um, you know, uh, we're getting some comments here that are very interesting. And then I've got a couple of photos here of uh, some of your work, Nate, that I want to get to. But uh, uh, we had Zan say, um, eventual efficiency is great. I just don't have the $25,000 to do all this stuff and never will. And she's right. Uh, I was able to do it in my own home because Kathleen and I qualified for a grant from the city. All right. It was uh, because of the 606 line and the property values that went up and they were trying to keep people in the neighborhood and stay here. So my alderman, Alderman uh, Roberto Maldonado from the 26th Ward was one of the people who came up with this idea of let's get some grant money out to people in the neighborhood to upgrade their homes. Um, And we qualified. And we even had to survive a lottery, so we we had a we we, we qualified, and then there was a, a lottery, and we were we got through that, and we've got the money to do it. And I couldn't yeah. have afforded it either because I had talked about this for years, and I knew that this is what needed to be done. Um, and uh, so I was very ple- that's as I have said, that's when government works. That is the. And yeah. I'm, sh- I, I, I'm, you're nodding there, Nate, and I hope you agree. Is this is how government yeah. can do good things for well, citizens? This is. So here's the thing: every kind of decision, like you, you've mentioned a few decisions you've done on your house. So every time there's a decision being made, you come to a fork in the road, and you want to make an educated decision. And you got to weigh the economics of it, obviously, but there's also potentially ways to set stuff up for future install. So either mm-hmm. you will get maybe your situation, you have more money down the line, there's more government funding, or the product comes down in cost, or all three of those. And I know there's going to have to be, I'm not a politician, but there's going to have to be assistance as we make this shift away from fossil fuels, because yeah. not everyone can afford this, and I understand that. Well, and, and that, so you must be encouraged or are rooting for this infrastructure bill that is being proposed because a lot of this will happen in that legislation. I hope I can't point the right way. Yes. Citizens architect right there. That's yes, definitely rooting for that. Um, you know, that's looking like it's going to clean up the grid a little more and, um, just keep encouraging renewable energy. 
and uh, I'm hoping at some point uh, that turns into assistance for homeowners too. There's always some programs available, but some of these things are big dollars, and I, I understand that. And Sandra writes, thermal break between the window and the wall assembly, need to address that. And Ron Calgill, who did my work, wrote, it is more cost-effective to air seal and insulate than to spend money on windows. Air seal and insulate well, first, is that's what he says. Yeah, I mean, if you have to pick one thing, sure, do that. But you got to, <laughs> at some point, wrap it up correctly. Yeah, you got to um, do it all, but... And but you, if you just think, replace the windows without fixing all the air leaks, that's not going to do yeah. much. Because yeah. that the the heat is much smarter than you think. It's just going to go fooey. I'm not going through here. I'm going to just go <laughs> right around that way. Yeah. They went that way. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. Take, let's take a let's look at this. See I these hope, photos here. Uh, yeah, I hope I set this up right. If I didn't, I'll just I'll scramble here. But uh, yeah, I did. Look at that. Okay, what do we got here, Nate? So that is Evanston's first lead platinum home. We finished that. Two and a half years ago. It's all electric. Um, it's a tremendous amount of recycled material in this one. Um, the exterior is made from boral siding, which is made from uh, waste fly ash and uh, Gorilla Glue. And then the whiter siding is cement fiberboard. And um, yeah, just a really nice, nice home, nice size. Um, How many square feet? I think that's 2,600 square feet. Okay. And you can see on top, if you look really carefully, you can see the edge of the solar panels on the butterfly roof. And then mm -hmm. you can see the yeah. window, those vertical windows way up high. Those are all on remotes. So one of the things we like to do is promote natural ventilation, natural daylighting, correct shading, um, and uh, good, obviously good insulation and all these other things. But the, the natural daylighting, natural ventilation thing is – uh, zero cost for the most part if you just do it right so we really like to try and look at a site and look at its um you know what it offers what's the orientation what's the wind coming into the site uh, what other you know noise you know sometimes when we do uh projects in urban environments there's those windows on both sides of this well you can open them on the quiet side or on the downward wind upward wind whatever trick you want to play um, there's all sorts of little things that we can do, but we do think about that. Like, you know, how are the acoustics going to be when you open these windows? That's, that's, uh, here's another thing you can, uh, uh, think about. We got a comment from Audrey and, and not surprising. She writes, uh, green homes or businesses should not emit light pollution. One prerequisite for a green community is starlight technology and know-how exists today. We only lack the will. Um, and that's a... I get the feeling this is something that's not thought of. This is so far down the list. Uh, and yet, you know, I've got a neighbor who I love two doors down has got this big globe light that just sends light out into the sky every night. Uh, sort of random. They're not listening. <laughs> I hope they're uh, not listening either. Uh, if you are, uh, Obed, let's have a chat. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, on different scale stuff, there is a lot of, work with that. And actually that's part of a lead category is light pollution. So when you look at like mm -hmm. commercial parking lots, there's lights that have, I can't remember, it's like night safe, night light safe or something certified that is directing the light downward and you want to have them on timers. And uh, there's, there's actually quite a bit of thought that goes into that. Yeah. On residential, it's a little trickier because it's not regulated like that. And it should be. 
I mean, uh, I, you know, I, there are just so many things we don't think about. Uh, light pollution, um, how are we protecting birds from uh, collisions? Um, all kinds of different things that need to go into uh, architectural planning. Yeah, you know, the bird issue is quite interesting. So I get a lot of stuff in my email, and one of them is from Dwell Magazine, and they just love promoting these glassy, glassy houses. And I keep writing in the comments, uh, you have to stop promoting this. And there's, I remember one of them was mirrored, all mirrored glass no. in the woods. And I'm like, this is a bird killer. Why are you even, why would you ever publish this? Holy so, um, but there is some, um, I think it's just starting. You're seeing some stuff where there is some glass available that's uh, got very fine fritting that the birds can see, but it's very expensive yeah. right now. And I'm just hoping with more use and more uh, required use that the price starts coming down. Uh, somebody pointed to a house we had up there and said, uh, that's Dana's house. Uh, and uh, I, one more, and then we, we're going to need to let you go. Uh, and where is this? This one's in Glencoe, and this was the first lead platinum home we did. It was only the second lead platinum in Illinois. And if you look carefully, those are solar thermal panels on the back. Pretty obvious. But if you look carefully, you can see there's another set of a roof off to the left that's the solar PV system. What's interesting here is I know the exact date this was shot. This was shot June 21st because the sun is completely shaded from the windows, and that was by design. So that was exactly June 21st that these hmm. photos were shot. Right on the solstice. Yep. Uh, yes. All right. Before we let you go, anything else you want to uh, comment on that, uh, that uh, you're working on or the uh, AIA is working on? Um, well, I'm just impressed with the level of work that the AIA is uh, doing. I'm glad they let me tag along. I, it's, it's an honor. <laughs> but um, I want to mention Next House Alliance, which is a group that we've put together of, uh, you know, to go after higher end homes to make sure that they're done right. And I think that's a forgotten area. And um, people now are educated, they're ready, willing, and able to do this, and there's not too much help. So our tagline is uh, visionary people building the future. And, um, you know, so we're doing it at all different scales of work. And uh, it's, it's an exciting time. I'm glad the uh, people can now rest easy and make long-term decisions now that our government has changed. And there's a big emphasis on sustainability. So it's well, very encouraging. For two years anyway. anyway. We can count on two years and maybe we'll see what happens after that. Well, I, I, I think I, the economics now are to the point where, you know, like a, as much as someone might have said they wanted to save the coal industry, that's impossible. Yeah. It, the economics have turned now. And and by the way, folks can find links to uh, Next House Alliance and the American Institute of Architects uh, uh, on my blog. Uh, and uh, you also, Peggy, you have an article in uh, Natural Awakening Chicago this month uh, that features, there it is. Mm-hmm. And where should folks go for that, Peggy? They can go to nachicago.com or pick it up at many local stores, Whole Foods, et cetera, et cetera. And I, <laughs> and I lifted uh, uh, a couple of paragraphs from that for, for the blog post, too. So maybe it'll And the I, photos. And the photos, right. And it was thank nice you. working with you. Great. And, Thanks, and Nate. You guys are, uh, are, are a team. Um, and I guess we, we should throw uh, Sue Markraff into that, too, who, who yes. was very Green helpful. Mark. Um, Who's the best? Uh, so 
Uh, Nate, thank you so much. It's great seeing you. I love having you just come in and we just sort of chat about where things are going. Um, obviously, if there's ever a, uh, an important issue, you know, the, the, that's uh, uh, burning a hole in your brain and you need to get on the program, please let us know and we'll bring you back. Thanks. Happy to do that. Okay. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki on this beautiful Easter Sunday. Rick DeMaio and weather and climate coming up next. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. From small boat fishermen to your dinner table with safe, free, no-contact delivery, Sitka Salmon Shares brings premium wild Alaska seafood to your door. They're a community-supported fishery offering shares just like your local CSA. All fish is wild caught in season with respect for the limits of the ocean. Line caught and traceable to their fleet. Use promo code NOVAK25 for $25 off the first month of a share. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com slash N-O-W-A-K. And oh, look at this! On lo- oh, there he is on location. Um, outside, holy smokes! Hey, hey! Outside, where? Where are you? Um, on my deck, my patio. Third oh, floor. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see how well sunglasses. the the yeah, a little bit. Right. Yeah. We'll see how well the internet yeah, holds up out my there. Elton John's got my Elton John's here. There we go. All right. It's the pond in the back there. See that? <laughs> Ah. Uh, oh no, the, the router is right over there, so I'll be all right. Okay. <laughs> okay, just don't disappear on us, please. I hope not. So, bona bona Pasqua to both of you, and uh, Gesundheit to you. That means Happy Easter in Italian. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, I know. Uh, I figured it. Well, did. I just wasn't coming I up. With the... I. Uh, happy I, I don't know the response back in Italian. Grazie, grazie. How's that? Just say happy Easter to you as well. Happy Easter to you as well. Happy Easter, Rick. Okay. Didn't, didn't you guys go to Sunday school? Um, no. I, try, I tried not to. That That's a line from Raiders of the Lost Ark when he's trying to explain to them everything about the Ark, and both F- FBI guys are going like this, and Indiana Jones go, didn't you guys go to Sunday school? So that's oh. where that came from. That wasn't, that wasn't <laughs> ah, meant to be. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Right. There you go. Anything but snakes. <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, it's a good day to be outside, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 70, 71 degrees. Uh, we typically see our first 71 about the 26th of March at O'Hare and about the 5th or 6th of April at the lakefront. So that's kind of like right on cue. Um, and I think what's really interesting um, is that the lake water temperature, I was checking this out the other day, guys, um, even though the average surface lake water 
temperature of Lake Michigan is 38 degrees. Right along the Chicago mm-hmm. shoreline, it's 48. And you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, is that above normal? Is that below normal? People don't really know about lake water temperature this early in the year. Going back to 1995, that's the third warmest it's ever been so early in the year. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah. Holy smoke. We've got somebody ask, asking, actually, where at the lake is it 71? It's 56 at the lake. No, no. The air temperature yesterday was 71 degrees. Yesterday. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's not right now for the person who's asking. It's yesterday. No, no. Yeah, we were talking about the high The high yesterday was 71. Um, and even along the lakefront, it made it up all the mm-hmm. way to 70 degrees. So, it was nice uh, yesterday, what, yeah. Oh, it was beautiful. That's what happens when you got a nice southwest wind. Uh, but what's really remarkable, because after I said that thunderous, you know, piece of information about why it's 48 degrees, usually I hear, why is it that way? So I'll just answer my own question that didn't come. <laughs> why is it that way, Dr. Rick? There you go. Uh, that's because we had a very little period of ice on the lake. And even though we had 48% of the Great Lakes covered, normally we get about 53%. We're learning more now how it's not so much the surface, but how much of that ice is actually deep. And because the ice was very, very thin, it was able to basically kind of melt and mix in with the water. And that's one of the reasons why it went away so fast. Also, we weren't ever really that cold. And because we never really got super cold, the depth of the cold water uh, is much, much shallower than in years past. And what's really interesting as you look back at the amount of lake effect snow, um, that didn't happen. I know, Mike, you have a family member up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Right. Um, Marquette, Michigan, 101 inches below normal snowfall. They normally see wow. 185. They had, 80, they had 84 inches of snow. I don't think I've ever nice. seen that, yeah, that little snowfall up there. And, again, that's also – um, you know, kind of points to the fact that we just had a lack of, you know, cold Arctic air this past winter. You know, I've got the... And what effect s- will that... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. I was going to say, what effect will that have, that extreme of a lack of snow well, on well, the, uh, first the water thing, table? Yeah, the first thing it doesn't do is it doesn't evaporate as much water off the lake. So even though we had <laughs> uh, very little snowfall, and even though we had very little in the way of cold air... When you have a lot of cold mm-hmm. air, obviously that develops into or produces lake effect snow. Um, so even though the Great Lakes have actually come down quite a bit um, since mm-hmm. the record high level of or near record high level of last year, uh, they're down almost a foot. So Lake Superior is down about eight inches. Lake Michigan is down about uh, 12 inches, uh, which is good news compared to where we were this time last year because you typically go up in the months of April and also May. Um, and the and the lack of cold weather um, kind of kind of didn't help that. If we would have had more cold weather, we would have brought those lake levels down even more. So to answer your question, Peg, the lack of Arctic air did not bring the lake level down lower than what we would have, would have hoped. But nonetheless, it was dry and it was cold, so we did get some mm-hmm. lowering of the levels. All right. So what I was popping up here is something you sent us, and uh, oops, let's get that out of there. And that's the uh, winter snowfall. Um, and seasonal uh, snowfall, yeah, yeah, and um, mm-hmm. so th- this is uh, 
this this doesn't show the departure from normal, does it? It no. just it just shows the so even if you look at the Upper Peninsula, it's it's on the higher end, but much lower than it normally would have been in a, in a given winter. Yeah, and and the reason why I said seasonal is because you know it doesn't have to be winter to snow up in Marquette. It can <laughs> snow in October. Yeah. It can snow in November. <laughs> Yeah, it can snow in March, it can snow in April, yeah. I mean, it's odd. They'll get more snow in the UP um, in the non-winter months. In other words, they'll get in October, November, March, mm-hmm. and April, even though we look at winter as, you know, December, January, and February. Uh, but it's pretty amazing. Even though they're showing 85 inches up there, that should be a 185. Now, wow. I'll try to see if I can dig up – yeah, I'll try to see if I can dig up the departure – uh, from normal for snowfall, that'd be a little bit more difficult to get, but I think I could probably get it right. I think what's more alarming um, is the fact that when you look at uh, the drought map, Mike, the one I sent you guys from yesterday. Yeah, let me pop the, the that drought, up there. Okay. This continues to be this continues to be a developing story, not for the Midwest, not for Tennessee, which had almost nine inches of rain um, over the last mm-hmm. two weeks and all the terrible flooding. In fact, more people died due to flooding in Tennessee than they did with the, um, with the tornadoes down in Alabama um, and also Georgia. But I've been monitoring um, a bunch of the smaller news outlets, the, the more regional climate centers out in the western United States, and they're all very, very concerned that they have gone through one of the driest winters on record. They went through one of the driest um, uh, summers on record last year. You know, the wildfire season is – kind of right around the corner as far as as how they look at it. Um, And again, if we don't get anything substantial uh, between now and the middle of May, which is only five weeks, it's literally we have five weeks to save the West. That that should be like like a Sunday morning headline, five weeks to save the West. Um, We're going back into a very, very dry um, pre-summer pattern. And again, the precipitation during the summertime is always much more widely scattered. So when you look at that, mm-hmm. you, you see areas of Arizona, New Mexico, western Colorado, Utah, um, Nevada. I mean, this is serious stuff. And you take your, you take like, like your hand and you put it over that, and you can literally cover all of the Great Lakes and the Ohio Valley. Um, so this, yeah. is, this is bad, and it's getting worse. That is uh, – yeah. And uh, – um we've we've seen so many wildfires in the past few years with a setup like that this is a a recipe for for those kinds of wildfire fires again this year and man maybe earlier yeah. than we usually get <laughs> yeah and maybe earlier because don't forget you got you have a lot of trees that burnt last year and when those trees burn it's not like to go in there and they take them out so now you have timber that's extremely dry that could easily go up. And I know, Peg, you wanted to ask something real quickly, but, Mike, if you want to pop up the seven-day rainfall forecast, which I also sent you um, as well as an update from this morning. I think. Um, yeah. yeah, there you go. There's yeah. nothing out west. Yeah. So this is going yeah. all the way into um, now into the middle of April, April 10th. So now we're down to four weeks. And the reason why I say that is typically when you get to the last couple of weeks of the month of May – it's really rare to get a big storm system that's going to sit out there for two or three days and produce a lot of rainfall. And definitely snow at this time of the year literally evaporates. Mm-hmm. But again, look at this, and we've been really dry around here. And even over the next seven days, we may see about an inch to an inch and a half of rain. 
all that's going to do is get us up to close to normal. So we're down two inches here. So even though we'll get some rain beginning Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, which I know a lot of farmers and gardeners would like, what we're seeing out here right now is about as good as it gets for Easter Sunday 2021. Yeah, I was I was looking at that uh, that map, and I think I think a lot of folks have been fooled by uh, the uh, the spring here, and and they're not really quite. Sh- they don't understand quite how dry it it has been uh, in in the Midwest. And as, and, and you look at yeah. this map, you go, well, we're going to get the purples. <laughs> the purples are coming in uh, later in the week. But as you say, it's only a couple of inches. Yeah. Only. And if that maybe an inch and a half um, now, it doesn't mean it can change, but you look at the overall pattern and we're still kind of in a split pattern uh, systems going to the South of us systems going to the North of us. And outside of that freaky, you know, weird three and a half week period that we called winter around here. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's been it's been dry, and I don't think I've ever seen as much sun in the month of March. So um, I like to go through the uh, the March um, outlook or the March review, and that's something else that I think is kind of you know bodes well to talk about because we finished up the March the month of March last week. Uh, we ended up as I thought we would about. Um, I think we were 6.8 degrees above normal. We ended up to be, I think, the 10th uh, warmest March on record. Uh, Rainfall, snowfall was both below normal. We ended up 48.8 inches of snow for the season, which puts us at number 30 long term. Even though we were almost 10 inches above normal, um, we're pretty much done. Um, I don't see anything that's going to really get us um, any sort of significant cold air pushing far enough south where we can get snow. If you recall, it was 2018, April 13th. Uh, we had one of the coldest, snowiest mid-Aprils I can ever remember around here, which is yeah. terrible weather. Yeah, in fact, the last three Aprils, April 2018, 2019, and 2020, were pretty lousy. But I think the first seven days of the month looked to be uh, pretty decent temperature-wise. Wow, uh, we've got some folks uh, who are noting that uh, it's brush fire warning dry yeah. uh, here, and uh, that's that's one thing I was going to mention was that I've been getting a lot of warnings on my phone, you know, uh, in, in the weather app of of brush fire warning days. Yeah, and and part of that is not just so much due to the fact that it's dry, but Mike, you mentioned this before; it's been really windy. We've had a lot of days yeah. with a lot of wind. I mean, even even yesterday. Um, I took my dog for a walk at about seven in the morning. I walked outside. I went, okay, it's 42 degrees, but the wind is out of the Southwest at 30 miles an hour. <laughs> and it was actually, it was actually cold. Um, and I bumped yeah. into a couple of other people walking their dogs and it was like, it's pretty cold out. Um, but you'll probably see, uh, maybe a little more burning probably today only because yesterday there was a little bit too much wind. So today, when the wind relaxes a little bit, you might see some burning, but it is Easter Sunday, so that's probably going to be um, a little bit of a negative impact on the fact that people are going to be doing that. But I would not be surprised um, if you probably see or we probably see a return to windier conditions during the day on uh, Monday and then also Tuesday. So, Peg, you were alluding to the fact that someone said it's only 56 degrees um, at the lakefront. We actually had a weak front come through here. Uh, last night, we turned the winds around to the northeast. I watched the readings mm-hmm. at both Racine and Kenosha and Milwaukee literally go from 70 to 50. 
and about five minutes, the wind flipped in off the lake. We had a little bit of an onshore flow here earlier, but now it looks like it's beginning to weaken a little bit. So right along the lakefront, literally from like Fort Sheridan up to about, say, um, maybe Waukegan up to about Antioch up to Pleasant Prairie, there may be just enough of an easterly wind. But I do think that's eventually going to get pushed back out into the lake uh, later on this afternoon. So I think another day, 70 degrees is likely today. Another day, 70 degrees tomorrow. Another degree, another day of 70 degrees on Tuesday. And then it looks wet weather for um, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. But um, this is this is pretty nice. And I think we mentioned it before. Even though we had some phenomenal amounts of snowfall here, most of it has basically evaporated and infiltrated into the soil. Uh, so I think we're doing pretty good at that point. If you see me bending over a little bit, I'm throwing a, a toy to my dog. He decided at the last minute. <laughs> right there. Is he going to join us? There we go. Where's there Legata, go. Mike? Oh, the, yeah. Well, oh, Legata abandoned me. She she went upstairs someplace. She's just. Uh, she's I like, think, I'm out so, of here. So, yeah. So you, you call your cat Legata, which is Italian for cat, but you didn't know what Bonapasqua means. Well, it's Spanish for cat as well, too. We that's we 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 did it in I, uh, I, we just did it no, in honor ahead. of our neighborhood of the heritage in our neighborhood. And at first we called her uh, El Gato, and then we realized, oops, that's the that's not right. It's La Gata. Yeah, that, right. So we figured out the Spanish and I, and thing. I know that so they named their the cat the cat. Right, the cat. Because I know that the Italian language and Spanish language are so very yeah. different. You can apart. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry. No, I, 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 Italian. I wouldn't even guess, but uh, and oh, I'm, on, you're done. Yeah. Uh, maybe Latin. You know, I grew up uh, doing the 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 altar boy thing. So, uh, uh, and in fact, we all, we all grow up doing the altar boy thing. That's the best thing about being an altar boy. You, say, you did the altar boy thing. <laughs> yeah, right? you did right. You know, and I only did it. It's you know, it's kind of a performance thing. I just wanted to be on stage in front of everybody. There you so go. you know, yeah, that's, that's one way of looking at it. I yeah, guess. I guess. Um, and 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 I'm old enough to remember we we learned it in Latin and then had to mm-hmm. uh, pre Vatican too. Yeah. Go back to English uh, after that. That's right. Yeah, before Vatican II, you had to walk up to the little wall there and then stand the altar there. Rail. And they would, the altar rail. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was I was too young to remember that. I, but, I, um, I, can, I can tell one story, a uh, church story, that I think you'll find kind of interesting. Altar boy story. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I know. This is this Uh-oh. is me. Okay. We're... Uh, I'm 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 an altar boy at, and and mass is going on, and it's uh and it's supposed to be a high mass, uh but it uh the wrong candles were lit, and ha- and and at the beginning of the mass I'm looking up and I go those are the wrong candles, uh and uh it's driving me crazy and then the priest, um, is doing his sermon. And I'm sitting in the chair, and I'm going, we we got to fix that. We those are the wrong candles. We 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 can't have those candles lit. So I get up in the middle of his sermon, and I go across to the, the sacristy, and I come back, and, and I put out the candles that were lit and lit the right ones, the correct ones, and then went back and sat down. Priest says, what were you doing? I said, well, you, the wrong candles were lit. It was for the wrong mass. He said, "That's thank you for being concerned. Please don't get up in the middle of my sermon ever again. All right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just and all, and all I can think of is it's the wrong candles. I got to fix it. I've got to fix this. 
So, it's, you know, a little a little eight year old boy or whatever is trying to trying to figure out, uh, make sure that everybody. I assumed everybody in church knew the wrong candles were were lighted. Well, I have forty five seconds before I talk about Easter weather history. I can top that. Okay. When I was an old, I was about thirteen years old, and the priest was doing the washing of the feet. You know, when they when they do the disciples and all the men get up right. there and they stand, they sit down, they take their shoes off and their socks, and I'm holding the you know, the silver tray of water. And, you know, if you tip it like one quarter inch one way, it spills over. So I'm already nervous holding this while he's dipping his um, his blessed um, or his blessed uh, towel in it. So he's washing the foot, washing the other foot. Then he takes the right foot because that's the one that was closer to him. And he brings it towards him. And while I'm standing there, I'm thinking to myself, he's bringing the foot towards him to smell whether or not it's clean enough. <laughs> But that's not what he was doing. He was kissing it. So when I thought he did that, I, I, I literally did this in a church of 800 people where everything, when it's quiet, when you make a noise, it, the sound right. ricochets from one to the other. So while I'm, doing, while I'm standing there, he pulls the foot towards me. I go like this. Literally, I went, ha! <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the Rick DeMaio laugh is not a quiet laugh, you know? It's got, got its drama seated from... Years ago, when you had 20 people in the house and something was funny, you laughed loud, okay? So my laugh literally went from one end of the, of the church to the other and then back around from one side to the other and hit in the middle and made it even louder. And <laughs> when, when I did that, this is the pastor, um, literally, the, the head guy, literally looked up at me like that with the eyes going, what the hell was that? He didn't have to say anything. I knew what, what he was saying at that point. Oops. What made that worse yeah what made matters worse is my parents who decided to join in and watch me do my thing were literally in the second row and oh. I, I felt their eyes i felt their eyes looking at me and as i was shaking even more so at this point i looked up and i saw both of them like looking at me like what the hell was that um but the thing about it was at the end of the of the of the service at that point we went up and we were doing something else off to the side and father uh, Richards was his name. He goes, he goes, what was that? I said, I thought you were smelling his foot to see whether or not it was clean. <laughs> and you know what he did? He, he went, he started laughing. He goes, all right, I can understand that you're off the hook. Cause he, he thought I was laughing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, then of course I had to hear from my parents uh, after that. My dad was like, what was that all about? Um, but yeah, those stories never go away. All right, so a little bit of Easter history. I sent this to you guys. Before. Ooh, I have a so Cooper's we... Hawk that just landed on the bird feeder, by the way. There we go. Oh, good. yeah. Um, Sorry, I just so, giant bird but, going by. No, Pig, that's what this show is all about. It's interrupting people when they're about to say something. <laughs> that's right. That's how we roll. That's how we roll here. <laughs> so Easter weather, we know that it doesn't happen the same day every year. We've had Easter as early as March 30th, Easter as late as like April right. 20th or 18th. And that's because you have to have a full moon after the beginning of the, you know, after the vernal equinox. So it's the first Sunday after the full moon. So the warmest Easter ever, uh, April 10th, 1977, we were 85 degrees. Uh, the coldest, March 24th, 1940, we had a low of 11. That's pretty darn wow. cold. Uh, yeah, March 25th. Yeah, March 25th. We had a high of only 19. That was back in 1894. The wettest, March 31st, eight, uh, 1929. We had three and a half inches of rain. Um, Mike 
I don't think you were here, Peg. I don't know if you were old enough, but 1964, Peg, you were probably what a um, you were. I wasn't I don't here because I remember you showed me. I wasn't here. Okay, it was it was the, it was the 78 snow pictures that you were showing me, right? Not the yeah. 67 ones, right? 67. Yeah. Uh, yeah. March 29. No, 67. Yeah. Yeah, March 29, 1964. Um, seven inches of snow, and we had a fairly significant snow. Uh, back on Easter Sunday, 2008. That was also the year that the Cubs, um, I think, had one of the coldest opening days ever. I think it was like 27 degrees. They're all um, cold. On that. <laughs> you know what, Mike? They're actually not. I did the study. Um, I went back and looked at um, opening days all the way back to 1950. And, and oddly enough, there were a lot of days where we had opening days at Wrigley that were actually quite warm. Hmm. And that's only because in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, opening day wasn't until about the middle of April because we had a shorter season. It was 154 games. But I, I went back and looked, and we actually had a, a couple of opening days where it was almost like 75, 80 degrees. So it really depended on, I think, whether or not you had a lot of people out at the ballpark. If you hmm. go back and you look at, at pre-Cubs 1984 – you would get maybe ten, fifteen thousand people for opening day. It wasn't no seriously. It wasn't no, I until know. they got good. Yeah, it wasn't until they got good in like nineteen eighty two, eighty three, eighty four. Did you start to have these thirty three thousand, forty thousand, right. you know, people in the mm-hmm. game? Now you and can't I, get a ticket. One, now you can't get a ticket. And what was most amazing, I look back at nineteen sixty three. They were opening up against the Los Angeles Dodgers, who back then, Mike, you know, baseball had Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax, two yeah. of the best pitchers of their time. Opening day attendance was less than 3,000 people wow. on both the first game and the second game. And the weather was also rotten as well. So it was not only because the Cubs stunk back then, it was pretty lousy weather as well. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we need to, to get a forecast here uh, and then yeah. uh, let you go. Yeah. So um, 70 to 75 today, again, right along the lakefront, literally – um, probably east of Sheridan Road from about, say, Kenilworth northward. There's going to be a light east-southeast wind for the next two or three hours and temperatures probably only in the mid-50s. But this is going to be washed out very quickly by strong southwest winds. So probably 70 to 75, second day in a row of both O'Hare. Midway, um, what we're going to talk about next week, Mike and Peg, are the soil temperatures. Okay. Because what's, mm-hmm. what's beginning to happen is the soil is beginning to warm up. And you'll start to see those readings come out from the Botanic Gardens and also NIU. And I think the Illinois Water Survey as well. I think that'll be kind of an interesting thing yeah. to look at from a historical perspective. 70 to 75 tomorrow, 70 to 75 on Tuesday. Rain most likely Tuesday night into Wednesday. And between Tuesday night, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, winds off the lake. That means readings probably only in the upper 40s, right along the lakefront maybe 50 inland, but what I think is most notable is that I think the lake breeze season this year, and we'll see how this works out, is going to be a little bit shorter because the lake is a little bit warmer, and by this time next week, I'll be probably inside talking to you because it'll be cloudy and cool, but we could be <laughs> and looking at about an inch and a half and an inch and a quarter of rain. So we have some cloudy, cooler weather, weather, wetter weather for the second half of the week, but this is, mm-hmm. um, this is mighty fine for um, April 4th. It right, is. 70 degrees. It's it's yeah. excellent, and I I think I'm going to have to go hit a bucket of balls uh, or uh, 
you know, and, and the get last, out in the yard somehow, and the, or and and plant some more stuff in the yard. I, I was doing some work the other day, planting some stuff. So that's another thing I'm going to get out and do. All right, Rick, thank you so much. Uh, happy Easter. Have a great uh, Have a great Sunday. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Take care, Peg. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. Um, let us. Uh, we're we're right at the at the end here, so we just uh, do this. <laughs> Audio. There you are. Oh, there Audio. I am. All right. Thanks to everybody. I'm sorry about that. Until next time, go green or go home. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.